Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illumine your word. Change our hearts. Come, we pray amongst us. Amen. The account of Jesus' baptism by John in the River Jordan is found in all four Gospels. It's also the first time that we encountered Jesus as an adult. At Christmas, we were reminded that the birth of Christ demonstrates that God came to be with us. And here at the River Jordan, we see that played out as Jesus so fully identifies with us. As in astounding humility, he presents himself for baptism. This is powerful, this is humbling, and yet honestly, for a long time, I struggled with Jesus being baptized. Why did he even need to do that? I mean, think about it. Isn't the central picture and theme of baptism that of being made clean from sin? Surely the one and only person who ever lived who did not need to be baptized was Jesus. Well, if like me you've ever thought that, we're in good company, for clearly that's what John the Baptist thought too. Indeed, so taken aback was he when Jesus asked to be baptized that John tries to stop him. Verse 14, I need to be baptized by you. And and do you come to me? Before Christmas, during Advent, we heard from John his great message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when John was asked by the crowds if he were the promised one, the Christ, his reply was a very emphatic, no, it's not me. John had said, I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And yet here John was, with Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one of whom he had preached, standing there before him, asking that he, John, baptize him. So why? Why did Jesus come to John for baptism? Well, Jesus answers that question. He answers what John has to say and his reluctance in verse 15. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So there you have it, a difficult question and a straightforward answer from Jesus. End of sermon. Well, not quite. (laughs) What does this answer mean, to fulfill all righteousness? I looked up the word fulfill, and according to the dictionary, it can mean a number of things. To bring to consummation, to carry out a prophecy or promise, to perform a task, to bring something to completion, to obey a command. And what about righteousness? What does that mean? Depending on your translation, you'll find the word more than 260 times in the Bible. And in close to half of those occurrences, it refers to right living, our doing God's will and living faithfully, being righteous. But righteousness is also a way of speaking of a righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that is about his love, his justice, his saving work. And I think it will be most helpful for us to think of righteousness today in this context about being right with God rather than being good. And this 
fulfilling of all righteousness is indeed about the righteousness that comes from God. So for Jesus, the fulfilling of all righteousness was about obeying his heavenly Father. It it was a matter of performing the task for which he came. He fulfilled the words of the prophets, and he was the one who brought God's righteousness to us all. Many years before, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied of he who was to come. We, We heard it in the first verse of our reading this morning. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And who's he describing? Well, it's easy for us looking back with, we can see that. He's describing Jesus, the one who came not to be served, but to serve, the servant king. And so Jesus' baptism was his commissioning to do the work for which he had been sent. And right there at the start of his public ministry, Jesus came to be baptized by John in the River Jordan, not because he was a sinner in need of repentance, but so that he could identify fully with us. We read elsewhere in the scriptures that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why was Jesus baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. And that fulfillment, that task that Christ came to do, began with his obedience in that river. And it ended with his obedience even to death on a cross so that we might be made righteous with God. And I think it's worth noticing something else here, that Jesus explicitly includes John in this, his first public act. Jesus says it's proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Though Jesus came to do for us that which we could not do for ourselves, nevertheless, he also came to be with us. And so far as possible, Jesus' ministry was not merely individual. It was communal. Jesus chose to do his work with others. We see that even at the end of his life in Gethsemane. He goes to the garden with his disciples And he asked them to stay with him. He asked them to watch with him. He asked them to pray with him. Jesus did not come to be a lone ranger rescuer. Indeed, the very next thing we encounter Jesus doing in Matthew's gospel is calling the disciples. And here, Jesus wants John to be a part of his own initial obedience to the Father. But what about us? What about now? In what ways might we be called to fulfill all righteousness? Obviously, we cannot fulfill God's righteousness in the way Jesus did once and for all. And yet, are there not countless ways in which we are still called upon by God to share with Christ in his continuing purposes in our lives, in the church, in the world? As Christians, we have a duty to fulfill all righteousness. We're called upon to live righteous lives and to tell others of the righteousness that comes from God. And so for John, fulfilling all righteousness included baptizing Jesus. 
But what is it that you need to fulfill? What is it that you need to bring to consummation? What tasks are you being called to do? What command does God ask you to obey? First, as individuals, what may God be calling you to do or be in order to fulfill all righteousness? And obviously, I can't answer that for you. But is he asking you to turn some harmful habit over to him? Is he asking you to talk with your neighbor or colleague, your relative or friend about Jesus? Is he asking you to make the first move to mend a broken relationship? Is he asking you to take the initiative concerning some matter of injustice in your community? You see, it's sadly possible that for some, their commitment to God and to doing his will is, is more analogous to a kind of half-hearted New Year's resolution. Perhaps you've made a lukewarm commitment to the righteousness of God, but have never really made the full-blown commitment of which Jesus speaks here, a commitment to fulfill all righteousness. And what about us together as, as a church? How are we to fulfill all righteousness? You know, I'm convinced that the most pressing task set before us as a church is that which we find alluded to in our scriptures this morning. In this season of epiphany, we are reminded of our calling to be a light to the nations. St. Luke, in our reading from the book of Acts, records Peter's words in which he reminds us that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets test about, testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is our task. This is what we are called upon to do in our generation, to tell others by word and deed of God's saving grace. And, you know, there are some very practical ways that we're trying to do that, that you can be a part of. And one of those is the Alpha Course. And we start our second Alpha Course in less than four weeks' time on Friday the 7th, I think it is, of February. This is an excellent opportunity for you to invite someone to come and see, bring them with you, to hear about God, to ask questions, and hopefully to encounter Christ in us. Now, I could finish this sermon here, but as, as I was preparing for what I would say this morning, I became a little uncomfortable with, with where I'd got to. It's not that I think I've said anything wrong. I hope I've explained why Jesus was, was baptized. I hope I've explained about this righteousness from God and, the, and, the, and then what we're called to in response. But here's what I've been uneasy about. You see, I think there's a, a danger that we may hear this challenge to fulfill all righteousness as one of those you-must-try-harder sermons. But I don't want our encounter today with these scriptures to leave us feeling like those who've made failed New Year's resolutions. So what's the alternative to just trying harder? Well, I think the key is in what happens at the moment when Jesus is baptized. You remember? 
the heavens are opened. He sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hears the words of his Father delighting in him, affirming him, commissioning him, reassuring him that he's not on his own. And if Jesus needed to hear that, how much more do we need to hear that? Parents, your children need to know your love for them. They need to hear your well done and your love and your encouragement. Fathers especially, we need to be speaking words of affirmation to our kids. But we all need to hear the words of the Father. Now I know that there are many here who cannot hear such words from your earthly fathers. Perhaps they have died. Or maybe in their brokenness or sinfulness or absence, they never spoke such words of grace and love and kindness to you. Well, here's the good news. I believe that God wants you to hear his words to you this morning. You know, only twice in the Synoptic Gospels does God the Father speak directly from heaven into the world. Here at Jesus' baptism, and then later when Jesus is transfigured. But each time, God the Father says the same thing. This is my son, my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And I think in this, there are two distinct things that I want us to grasp hold of. First, hear afresh what we have in Jesus, God's beloved son. This is the most important thing in the world to know. Jesus is the son of God. And at the transfiguration, the voice from heaven adds three more words. Listen to him. Theologian Frederick Bruner says of this moment, here God is saying in so many words, in this man is everything I want to say, reveal, and do. And everything I want people to hear, see, and believe. If you want to know anything about me, says God, if you want to hear anything from me, if you want to please me, get together with him. But there's a second thing I want you to notice in this today. All the kindness heard in the Father's voice for his Son, Jesus, is also conveyed to us in our baptisms. For baptism is the sign of our adoption into God's family. What a wonderful and extraordinary thing it is that we can be called children of God, that we can have favor with God even as Jesus himself enjoys favor as his unique son. So it is that in our baptisms, we hear echoes of these words from God. You are my daughter. You are my son. I love you. I delight in you. I am pleased with you. I will be with you. You know, I love baptisms. 
I, I uh, enjoy baptizing people of all ages. I, I, I like it when the youth or adults, believers come and we see a, a powerful and public declaration of faith by those being baptized. But I'm also so glad that we baptize the infants of believing parents. For in it, we see demonstrated the scandal of the gospel. Our Father God bestows gifts on us before we can remotely or adequately respond to those gifts. You know, in a few moments here at Sarchi's baptism, we will claim God's promises over her before she can do diddly squat for God. Few things in the church celebrate this unmerited grace as clearly as the sacrament of baptism. Our God gives himself and dies for the sins of the world before the world can do anything for themselves or to save themselves. Now, of course, repentance and faith is needed. That was what John preached. That was what Jesus preached. And so in our baptismal liturgy, the parents speak on behalf of their children, expressing that repentance and faith. And we look forward to the day, uh, in this instance, when baby Sarchi grows up, and will we pray publicly reaffirm these baptismal promises of repentance and faith for herself in confirmation. But today, we delight in the Father's love and affirmation for this little one. And we, all of us, are invited to hear again the words of the Father who delights in us. Hear these intimate words from the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, the baptism of Jesus is a very intimate moment in a very public setting. And when I hold baby Saatchi at the font, or any baby that we baptize, there are often, like today, hundreds of people watching. And yet, amidst all the hustle and bustle and kids going this way and that and people trying to take photographs and all of that stuff, it's a holy and intimate moment. Indeed, I think that's how the sacraments are meant to be. You know, Holy Communion, likewise, is a very intimate moment in a room full of people. As week by week, we are invited to receive afresh the gifts of God as again and again we preach repentance and faith. We declare God's love and grace. And we are invited to come and eat bread and wine, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to receive Jesus, to hear his I love you. This is the Father's song, a song of love, a song of delight. The Father's song sung over you for eternity, written on your heart. This is heaven's perfect melody, the Creator's symphony. This is what enables us to live out the lives God calls us to live and for which we were commissioned at our baptisms. 
Well, to close, I've asked Catherine Hodges to sing a song written by Matt Redman. It's called The Father's Song. And, and as Catherine sings, I, I invite you just to listen quietly. You may want to close your eyes. You may want to kneel. Do whatever is most helpful for you to focus on the words of this song. And as you listen, ask God to help you hear his song of love for you, his delight in you. Amen. written on my heart.